Hello everyone and welcome to the latest episode of Dairy Pod. I'm Rory McDonald from the Dairy Australia farm team. For many farmers, antibiotics can be a significant cost that impact on the bottom line of their farm business. Antibiotic use does not just impact the farm however, it is also an issue affecting the wider community due to the development of growing resistance to some antibiotics that are also used in human medicine, partly due to overuse of these antibiotics on farms. In this episode of Dairy Pod, Gippsland vet and mastitis expert Mark Humphreys looks at how prevention and improved drying off techniques can dramatically cut down on a farm's requirement to use antibiotics. In a wide-ranging discussion with Steph Bullen, Dairy Australia's technical lead in animal health and fertility, Mark explains how dairy farmers can develop systems and procedures that will see less antibiotic usage, fewer vet bills and improved herd health. Hi Mark, welcome to the podcast. Thanks Steph, glad to be here. That's awesome. So Mark, you're a vet uh, based here in Gippsland. So we're currently recording the podcast in Newry, uh, right in the heart of the McAllister Irrigation District. And today we're talking about antibiotics, Mark. And this is a subject that you're really passionate about, um, helping dairy farmers to improve the way that they use antibiotics on farm. Mark, can you start by telling us a little bit about why dairy farmers should care about any the way they use antibiotics on farm? Well, I think antibiotics uh, cost money. Um, and when you use them, uh, it requires you to treat an animal and then keep that animal out of the vat. So there's sort of hassle there. But I think also, um, like, like many things within the social licence sort of domain, it's one area where we need to be mindful of how much we're using or how appropriately we're using antibiotics in that uh, both as farmers and vets and as doctors and patients who attend doctors, we have to be mindful about do we really need to use those antibiotics and are they being used in an appropriate way. So Mark, how would a farmer work out whether they were using antibiotics appropriately on farm? What sort of what sort of ways in which, you know, how could they tell whether they needed potentially to improve the way in which they were using antibiotics? I think Steph, uh, um, you know, working with your veterinarian um, I suppose one of the, the reasons why I was really got really interested in this topic was that many of the decisions uh, about the use of antibiotics are made by farmers and sometimes less by veterinarians. Whilst the veterinarians certainly prescribe the antibiotics, they um, are used in different ways um, on farm. And that got me thinking about, well, you know, how, how are they being used? Are they... Uh, are they used in the way that um, the vet actually intended them to be? And so I think in terms of understanding appropriateness, that's really, um, I think, a discussion with the, with the veterinarian saying, well, this is how I'm using this. Is this appropriate? And then from there, because I think appropriate use of antibiotics is as much about the the diagnosis of the condition that you're treating, isn't it? It's... Uh, uh, being sure about the signs that you're seeing and whether, in fact, that needs to be treated. So, shall we take the example of a, a, a lame cow? Um, okay, so, you know, if you're able to get that cow into the crush and pick up the foot, you might see that uh, it's not actually a foot rot, um, you know, with a, with a stone that's caused a foot rot in between the claws, but it's actually... Um, a white line condition where with um, a reasonable knife um, and restraint of the animal and, and when you're safe to do so, uh, 
to remove that tissue and then put a block on. So that that's that's an um, inappropriate uh, exam, uh, inappropriate case to actually use antibiotics because it, in fact what it needs is a knife and a and a and a block to help that cow. Yeah, and Mark, the lameness is a really interesting one. Have you got a bit of a feel for, um, you know, how often lame cows are treated with antibiotics when perhaps they may have other, you know, been treated in a way that didn't involve antibiotics? So use the, you know, pairing out the sort of diseased tissue as as one example of treating that cow without antibiotics. What have you got a gut feel as to, yeah, the level of level of lameness that's treated with antibiotics that perhaps doesn't need to be? I think Steph that um, there'll be a real spectrum there. I think people that have had, had some training with regard to the treatment of lameness, they've built their awareness as to what needs antibiotics and what doesn't. But I think those that haven't had exposure to other ways of treating and um, arguably much uh, better ways of treating, um, yes, I think there is a fair bit of use of antibiotics because uh, unfortunately we see a a, a temporary improvement in that cow, uh, but it's actually not fixed properly because it'll come back and then and back again if if you haven't established drainage and, and popped it up on a block. Yeah, that's a really good point, Mark. I suppose those cows where uh, you know, you have used antibiotics in them, you've got the cost of the antibiotic and the discarded milk, and then the cow sounds like, in a lot of cases, is still going to be lame. Um, and then potentially you may need to, you know, get your vet out or treat that cow in a different way anyway. So potentially, A, you've used antibiotics where, you know, it may not have been the best use of the antibiotics, but also you've sort of added kind of exponentially to the cost of treating that animal. Um, have you got any other thoughts on that? Yes, I think they're great points, Steph. Um, when I was preparing a, a webinar for Gibbs Dairy on the management of lameness in wet conditions, I spoke to a number of people and, and two, in fact, uh, um, farmers in New Zealand that had managed large, large herds. And uh, they were saying that um, if, basically, if you're going, if you're reaching for the, for the antibiotics, um, then something's going wrong with my process. So, um, the point that they were making was that, you know, nine out of 10 cows will be treated really effectively if you intervene early and um, with a knife um, or, or a grinder and, and blocks sort of thing, um, rather than getting to a point where that foot is swollen um, for other reasons. So, um, yeah, I, I think that's, that's a, it's a great example of where we can uh, improve the, the use of antibiotics on farm. And Mark, I suppose in, you know, in some of the, the work that we've done at Dairy Australia recently, we know that most of the antibiotic courses that are given to cows actually are for the control of mastitis or, or you know, dry cow treatment courses. Have you got um, perhaps some practical tips for the farmers listening, um, you know, for ways in which they might be able to improve the way they use antibiotics to treat mastitis um, and whether you want to talk about clinical mastitis specifically? I think to start with, Steph, it'd be good to talk about managing clinical mastitis and how we can improve the use of the antibiotics that we've got there. And um, we, also, we also need to understand that um, we've got choices, of course, between intramammary uh, antibiotics and injectable antibiotics. And we know from evidence um, that the, the amount of antibiotic from an intramammary is so much more than what can be delivered in an into-the-muscle injection. When it gets into the udder? When it gets into the udder. Yeah. So that's the first choice um, in terms of the, the type of antibiotic. 
But even taking a step back from that, we've got to make sure that the cow has clinical mastitis. Really understanding what is your, your definition of what, what, a, what a, uh, a case of mastitis is. So is it, does it have clots or discoloured milk that persists for, for more than three squirts? Okay, that requires treatment. Um, but also, also understanding that we, don't, we really don't want to be treating, there is no benefit in treating subclinical infections uh, during lactation. You know, when, when you do get the herd test, um, not sort of racing off to the, the drug cabinet and, and trying to treat those high cell count, it, it's futile. There's no return on investment. Um, the best time to treat subclinical cows is in the dry period. Um, get, getting, getting the diagnosis right, does she really need to be treated? And then um, when you're using an intramammary, making sure that we can get it in there cleanly. Unfortunately, with the, the, the data analysis that I've done with a lot of farms, the difference between the cows that come back for a second time after a first treatment of clinical mastitis, it varies between 10 percent and uh, 55 percent is probably my highest farm where so that's saying that if you had 10 10 cows that had clinical mastitis five and a half of them or or five or six of them will come back for the second time now that's not winning and that's not fair for the cow so we've got to look at what we're doing and what we understand from from looking more deeply into some of these repeat cases is that either they've chosen the wrong cow to treat so unfortunately she she probably needs to be culled because she's a, a, um, a chronic cell count cow or she's had clinical mastitis in other other years or the tube has not um, gone in cleanly and so just the hygiene around that's really important and as we improve that well then our our, um, our repeat cases go down. All right, Mark, so we've heard or you've told us a little bit about uh, ways in which we can improve antibiotic use um, in treating mastitis during lactation. Um, So avoiding treating high cell count cows, but also ways in which we can improve, um, you know, the treatment of clinical mastitis to make sure that we get a a kind of good cure rate, I suppose. Um, Let's talk about dry cow therapy now. What, What are your thoughts on, you know, are there ways in which farmers can improve the way they use dry cow therapy, antibiotic dry cow therapy specifically? Certainly, Steph. I think um, those people that are herd recording, um, it opens up opportunities in terms of understanding those cows that actually need antibiotic dry cow therapy and those that may not. But, you know, with, with the trends um, globally in terms of, you know, certainly in Europe where they're moving away from whole herd antibiotic dry cow therapy, we need to be really thinking about, well, how can we move in that direction? So, um, farms that have really good um, bulk milk cell count and relatively good control of clinical mastitis and are able to herd record or do herd record, well, they're in a position where they can, you know, tentatively take that step and move towards that. Because I suppose there's savings there in terms of reducing the amount of antibiotic. But I think there's certainly some farmers that are genuinely interested in the concept that if a cow doesn't have an infection, well, then she doesn't need an antibiotic and where they can be confident of the way in which they're perhaps getting an internal teat sealant into that cow, or they truly just don't have that challenge during the dry period. Um, You know, it's hard, I think, because for so long we've used antibiotic dry cow therapy as a sort of a real cornerstone of our milk quality and uh, uh, milk quality control. But now you know, we, we can understand why people are asking us, well, if a cow doesn't have a, uh, an infection, 
well, she doesn't really need a, a dry cow antibiotic. And we've got to get our, our, um, our, our herds into a place where we've got relatively good control and we've got really good control over that drying off process. And I think there's really significant opportunity with the drying off process in actually getting those cows down to a, a pretty good level of production between seven and 12 litres of, um, of milk per day, which is not easy on some, on, on some herds. But also, when, um, we, we want to aim to be able to, to hygienically administer those products um, as best as we can and, and as, as hygienically as we can. We want to do the, the, the same job we've done on the first one as the last one. And, you know, to actually do a, um, you know, do a really good job, it probably takes two or three minutes um, per cow, and um, which might seem um, slow to some people, but it is just such a critical control point in setting up that cow for the next lactation. And we know that if we, if that cow truly doesn't have an infection, we don't want to slip a few bacteria in there. So we want to get it really clean. And if those farms, in those farms where it is justified to use an internal teat sealant only to, to keep bacteria out during that period, well then it can be done really, uh, uh, done well and, and hygienically. So just to clarify, Mark, um, if a farm is considering selective um, dry cow therapy, antibiotic dry cow therapy, you are recommending use of a teat sealant in the cows that don't receive the antibiotic still to prevent mastitis over the dry period, is that correct? It's always on a case-by-case -case basis, Steph, uh, and, and that's where we've really got to have really good, robust discussions between veterinarians and their producers, and, you know, that can be on a, on a sort of a, an annual cycle if you're seasonal calving or even if you're um, an all-year-round carver, just sitting down and saying, well, okay, where, where are we at with this? Um, because in some uh, lucky farms where they don't have a lot of challenge during the dry period, they won't need the internal teat sealant. But at least in our patch, um, where they're carving into relatively damp conditions, um, certainly south of us and, and west of us as well, internal teat sealants have played a huge role in actually protecting that cow in a high risk time during the dry period, where you sort of think, well, why is it high risk? But the teat, the teat is, well, some of the teats, probably half the teats are um, relatively open and without the flushing and milking during lactation, they're at risk. And so we have to look about look at um, how we can protect that udder during that high risk time from environmental bacteria. Mark, you've, over the last sort of 12 to 18 months, you've been involved in some discussion groups specifically around animal health and improving antibiotic um, antibiotic use on farms. So those um, discussion groups have, um, you've done some in Gippsland, some in um, Southwest Vic and some in Northern Victoria. Just wondering, can you tell us a little bit about those discussion groups, Mark? Yeah, so I was really interested in understanding more about decision-making um, on the use of antibiotics and on disease control on farms. And I, you know, I read about other sort of ways and, and discussion groups from Originally, it was actually in Danish organic herds where farmers would, you know, not, not dissimilar to the, the, the discussion groups we have here, but it was a real focus on um, health and infrastructure. So, and, and I think it's based on the fact that farmers, um, when, they're, 
when their attention is drawn to a particular issue, they're really, really experienced problem solvers. So I suppose, you know, getting getting farmers together on, on a particular farm and uh, and getting them to look at a particular problem. And I suppose my role in those groups was to facilitate that discussion, not to say, well, this is the best practice, um, because it's, it's never about that. It's about practical solutions that uh, farmers can implement. And I think those conversations held in the right way uh, allow, you know, really sensible, really practical sort of advice to solve problems. And whether that be reducing disease or improving how we're using <clears throat> treatments, um, yeah, so that, that was sort of the, the idea behind the discussion groups. So Steph, we chose three host, group, host farms from each area and in terms of a particular farm, I would work with that, uh, the owner and managers of that farm to understand, um, to collect data and, um, on health events and treatment and then to understand where they wanted to go as well. So understand their goals of where they saw improvement or, or, or where they wanted to go. And then, so I'd analyse that data and then reflect that back to them and the group members. I think one of the learnings from the groups there, Steph, is that uh, I think more people are doing a pretty good job of recording. I reckon there's a big gap in terms of understanding how using the data, like and actually saying, well, okay, um, how are we going there? Is there room for improvement um, or... You know, what are the costs associated with that particular condition? So using benchmarks, and that was sort of a, a constant theme throughout. Uh, so, so getting the data and then um, comparing it to achievable benchmarks and then letting the group say, well, what do you reckon? And, and matching up with those uh, the farm decision makers' goals in terms of where they wanted to go. Yeah, interesting, Mark. I'd love to talk about maybe an example of one of the host farms that perhaps, you know, once you'd analysed the data, you know, um, it indicated for this particular health issue, whether it's lameness or mastitis or whatever, was above the benchmarks. And then, you know, how did the discussion go with the group and did the, that farm make any particular changes because you'd highlighted or because sort of through the process you'd highlighted that there was room for improvement? Yeah, so an example, Steph, of, of where um, we did find um, a, a large number of clinical mastitis cows during a year and, and, and actually over a few years, and also a high number of repeat cases. So with that particular farm, you know, and, and it, it's terrific because it's, um, and that's the, that's the beauty of being in groups where you, you, keep, you keep meeting, you get fairly comfortable with sharing the information and saying, wow, like this is no good. This is costing us thousands and thousands of dollars, like over a hundred thousand dollars. Wow. A hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. In terms of the, the impact to the business. So what we did with that, um, through, through the group discussion, there was a lot, uh, of discussion around the way in which treatments were being, uh, done and decision-making around that. And, and in fact, there was some over-treatment or there was some treatment of subclinical cows. So straight away after that sort of discussion happened and then a follow-up with their veterinarian, that sort of reduced quite quickly. And the other thing, um, this particular farm actually moved to um, a rapid diagnostic 
mastitis test. So they can actually determine whether a cow has a gram positive or a gram negative. Now, we understand from, from, from research that we don't, in fact, need to treat gram-negative bacteria with antibiotics. They can be watched and monitored and maybe an anti-inflammatory um, used. So they, they actually went down that line. And I think diagnostics going forward, and especially when the diagnostics can be more accurate, more robust, um, that'll play a big part in actually how we uh, carefully use antibiotics and, and, and appropriately use antibiotics to be sure that, that, that what we're treating is, um, does require an antibiotic. So in this, in this case, this farm um, did uh, move to rapid diagnostics but I think um, through discussion and the review visit afterwards, I think one of the best things about that was that they, they said, right, if we're going to do this, we need to do some extra training for all the staff. And so that's when they got their vets in to really step through the, the issues around clinical mastitis. And I think that's actually been one of the, the real wins out of that is that they put a, a spotlight on it and they've certainly reduced their number of repeat cases. And um, wider than that, uh, I suppose that's the treatment aspect. Well, where are they coming from? So we re looked really deeply into the, um, that it was coming from the environment and then looking at key risk areas um, after they went out from the shed um, where they may have been getting these environmental bacteria. So that's just one example where, yes, it was associated with improving how antibiotics were used at um, when they got a case and, and, and again um, on hygienic administration but also on the prevention side. Yeah absolutely and I think I mean we haven't talked much about prevention Mark but probably you know when it comes to improving the way in which we use antibiotics it probably largely starts with prevention doesn't it? Um, you know making sure that we've got our transition period um, sort of well managed so we're minimizing sort of disease around calving time we're doing our preventative management for lameness and for for mastitis as well um, any other comments I suppose it's you know it's sort of probably we don't want to go too much into it in this particular podcast but any sort of general comments around disease prevention absolutely I think um, prevention and I'm you know obviously very biased in this sort of uh, uh, area because I think if we get prevention right, I, I really couldn't care what you treat the animal with because there's not going to be many treatments and you're quickly going to work out which cows are, are treatable and, and which aren't. So with prevention, I think, yes, um, it comes back to you know, that pivotal time uh, with transition cow management and that's, that's a big thing with the, the groups that we've worked with. So um, really helping each other sort of make, there's lots of different ways of actually controlling milk fever and other sort of um, uh, conditions around, around calving. But that's a, that's a pivotal sort of um, moment in the cow's uh, process and, and lactation there, getting that right. Um, you know, understanding what, what's appropriate use of, of vaccines, what vaccines do we need to use? You know, biosecurity comes into prevention and you know can, nutrition of course is the absolute cornerstone and foundation of prevention it's amazing on some farms where they've got nutrition right and some of the other parts are kind of pretty well at least to me look pretty wobbly but they achieve achieve great outcomes and um 
you know, I think nutrition is just so important in getting, especially getting that pre, pre-carving body condition score right. And then it's their environment. And, um, you know, with, with one of the farms um, that we dealt with, look, there was some uh, a higher amount of calving paralysis, a higher amount of, um, of milk fevers, and they've moved um, between the two visits to, to putting in a calving shed. And it was terrific to hear from from that farm in the impact that it had on their people and their cows. So we certainly expect that um, paralysis will go down, some deaths will certainly reduce, and milk fevers have already reduced, um, you know, uh, even though the diet hasn't changed remarkably. So, Mark, uh, the use of critically important antibiotics for human health, um, so that's kind of a, a bit of a mouthful, but what we're talking about are um, antibiotics sort of like XNL or Accent um, Exceed. Um, we're sort of hearing more and more about, you know, um, needing to be more careful in the way we use those on farm. Are you able to talk to us about why they're important and, you know, what sort of considerations farmers need to make, you know, before perhaps reaching for the bottle of XNL or Accent? Okay, so with critically important antibiotics, as you said, Steph, we're talking about these are antibiotics that we'd really like to use just for humans, and um, we've been we've been advised by the World Health Organization and our local kind of authorities that some antibiotics really need to be um, used very sparingly because they're so important for humans. So I think the first part really is just understanding that they are some like a bottle of XNL is different from a bottle of penicillin. And I think that's step one. Like most people probably don't understand that. But, you know, when when we've talked to our medical practitioners, they say, well, look, you're doing a great job with the use of antibiotics in dairy and in cattle, but what are you doing with safety fewer, which is accent, exceed, XNL? You know, because that's really important for humans. Now, that might be news to some people and it may not be for others. But so I suppose with that information, you say, well, gee, I, um, and, and, you know, we explored this in our groups, in, is that there's a tension there because it's a nil milk withhold. Is that the, is that the only reason that should justify the use of, of quite a, uh, a really high-end antibiotic that we want to keep for humans? So... I think there's certainly, and it's not to say that we shouldn't use them entirely, but they should be used really, really carefully. And if we can substitute that for, say, penicillin or an oxytet, an allomycin or angomycin, which are not used as much for, for humans and is, are not on the list of the WHO, well then, yeah, I think we're, we're heading in the right direction. Yeah, and it sounds like too, you know, there's so many different antibiotics available and you mentioned a couple of potential alternatives to XNL, but it, what it really comes down to is a conversation with your vet, you know, talking to them about perhaps what you are using XNL accent exceed for and then having a chat to them about what might be an appropriate alternative um, just to make sure that whatever you swap to is still going to get a good cure um, or, or good result um, in treating whatever the, the problem is that you're you're currently using those products for. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it goes back to our earlier point about sort of um, how would we know if we're using antibiotics properly? I suppose, you know, having, making the time to actually go through, okay, I've got a few antibiotics and a few different treatments here. 
you know, talking with your vet about, am I using it in the right way? And, you know, as part of the groups, we really did explore the role of treatment protocols and treatment protocols just, you know, in a way they cover so much because they can cover what are you treating? Like, what is the, um, what are the signs that you are seeing that mean that you've got evidence enough and it's, you're justified to use an antibiotic? And then on that treatment protocol, through discussion with your veterinarian saying, well, what's the best? You know, I, I, I want to do the right thing by, by my animal. And that's what a lot of us as, as um, owners of animals, we want to do the best by animals. So having that discussion and not assuming that what you used over the last few years is, is the right thing, because you'll be surprised, I think, um, through if you do make the time to have some of these discussions and build a treatment protocol, um, there'll be efficiencies. You'll save you'll save money in the product. There might be other things that will help, like anti-inflammatories that might help the overall outcome of that cow. I think there's growing evidence to say that in many conditions, certainly in lameness and in mastitis, we've got more confidence of actually using anti-inflammatories that may reduce the chance of that cow coming back with that same condition again. All right, Mark, that's been an awesome, um, really awesome conversation with some sort of really practical tips for farmers to improve the way they use antibiotics. Um, What does the future hold? I think there's some farms that are doing a great job in recording. I reckon we've got great opportunity to to summarise and analyse and review that information to know where we where we need to invest our next preventative dollar. So I suppose I'd love to see um, over time a movement from the 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 terrific the 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 focus on treatment to the focus on prevention, which is a bigger lever in terms of turning off disease and 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 not worrying about sort of all the treatments that occur seeking a greater understanding of that data and the benchmarks but also I think I I think there's some great leaders within our industry about where they want to to, to be in terms of not only um, using antibiotics really appropriately but communicating that and uh, and so I think I think with um, some of the building of awareness of of this it's just one small area of social license but um, yeah, I, I, I think, um, you know, focusing on reducing um, the amount of disease and, you know, through really good consultation with your vets and treatment protocols, you know, working at, working away at uh, improving how we use antibiotics when we when a cow does get sick. If, if it's okay, I might um, recap sort of on, you know, the key sort of things that we talked about in the conversation. So, you know, the one of the sort of main reasons why farmers may be motivated to improve their many antibiotic use is to you know to reduce the cost um but there's it's much bigger issue than that you know it's it's our role important role that we play in terms of our you know the dairy industry's place sort of you know in the in the world um in terms of practical tips um we talked a little bit about um you know improving the way in which we use antibiotics for lameness so you know bringing the cow in and picking up the foot and checking that in fact it it, it is a foot rot or it, it's not something else that could be treated just with a block and some you know um some some work with the, the hoof knife um not treating subclinically infected cows um making sure that if we've got a, a cow with clinical mastitis that we're really you know particular about our hygiene and using intramammaries where we can instead of injectable 
vegetables. Um, and we also talked about um, that particular example of the, the case study farm or the, the host farm that um, introduced mastitis diagnostics to, to sort of further differentiate, you know, whether a clinical case requires treatment or not. Um, and then, um, you know, I guess finally, probably the, the really, or there's kind of two big take-homes. One is recording your data and, and knowing sort of, you know, how you're tracking relative to, you know, to other sort of similar farms or to industry benchmarks and sort of really focusing on areas, you know, you know, or targeting areas that you might be able to improve and having the conversation with your vet. So if you've got the vet out on farm, you know, take the time to, to have the conversation with them about what you're using, um, particularly when it comes to things like XNL and Accent. Have you got any final comments, Mark? Have I sum, summed that up fairly or, you know, anything sort of last comments that you'd like to make to the listeners? No, that's great, Steph. Um, uh, thanks for, thanks for uh, the opportunity to talk with you. It's, um, look, I think antimicrobial stewardship as a, as a whole, I suppose it's the collective set of strategies that we're doing to more appropriately use antibiotics. And um, that's why I'm sort of fascinated by it because it's, it's, it is about prevention and it is about doing a better job with treatment. And um, I think if we understand our data more, uh, we can really look into it and say, oh, well, that's costing me this and, and, I, and I want to move there. And there are plenty of people um, that, are, that are there to help with that sort of process. And um, look, it's been terrific with the farms because, um, you know, and, and it, they may be able to, to continue in, in some areas. But I think having that farmer support in making change is really, really important, you know, to take that step and to make those decisions. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks so much for your time today, Mark. It's been a fantastic um, conversation and certainly something that you're clearly extremely passionate about and looking forward to, you know, to further developments sort of, you know, within the, within the industry, um, resources and, and tools and, um, you know, just potentially more discussion groups to help farmers um, who are interested in improving their antibiotic use. So thanks so much for all the work you've done for the industry, Mark, and um, for your passion on, on the subject. Thanks very much, Steph. Thanks to Steph and Mark for that excellent discussion on a topic of growing importance, not just for the dairy industry, but also for the wider community. The less we use them, the more effective they will be when there's no other option. If you want to reduce antibiotic usage on your farm, the best place to start is with your vet, who can help put you on the path towards a healthier herd with less mastitis issues. You can also find more information on antimicrobial stewardship on the Dairy Australia website. Well, that's it for this episode. You can find other Dairy Pod episodes on SoundCloud as always, or subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Thanks for listening. Until next time, bye for now.